lock and load. This is Steve Dace. The Steve Dace Show. And greetings. Happy Thursday. Thanks for tuning in here today. That's right. We are back. We are live. Because Baby McIntyre has not landed. It could be any day now. You never know. So enjoy live programming while you can. Reminder, we do though. Once Baby McIntyre does land, once the stork, the stork, I should say, once the stork uh, lands, we we do have uh, several days of original programming lined up for you of a thematic nature that we are confident you will enjoy. So you'll be still getting fresh and original content from us. It just might be a while before you see us live. Uh, I'm Steve Dace. Todd Erzin is here with me as well as Aaron McIntyre. And you are you. Let us know what you think about what we think via the stevedace.com inbox by emailing the show. Steve at stevedace.com. That's D-E-A-C-E. Also, you can like us on Facebook, MeWe, Parlor, Gab, and Getter. Follow me on Twitter at Steve day show and get clips of the show that don't have any censorship whatsoever and are free to watch at rumble.com slash steve day show and for those of you that are new the last name is spelled d-e-a-c-e uh maybe you bought a recent pair of glasses threw them in the drawer didn't wear them again or you've been told to go home And get used to your new progressives that you're struggling to get used to? Well, I've got help for you from our friends at Better Spectacles. They're now offering authentic German-engineered Rodenstock eyewear for the first time right here in the U.S. That's a 144-year-old company. That's the world's gold standard with over 500 patents. And they don't just handle everyday prescriptions, but they specialize in the difficult ones too. Like me, for example. I'm I'm wearing uh, a difficult prescription, a little far-sighted, a little near-sighted. I'm wearing some of their road and stock frames as we speak right now here on the show. Good news for you if you've got a problematic prescription. The technology has caught up with uh, caught up to you and they can help you with that by going to betterspectacles.com/steve. Schedule your teleoptical appointment there. You won't have to leave your house. They'll set you up right there with an expert consultation from one of their best in the industry opticians right there at betterspectacles.com slash Steve. And they'll offer you 61% off those go spec lenses plus free handcrafted rodent stock frames at betterspectacles.com slash Steve. All right, coming up on today's show. At the bottom of the hour, we're going to talk to Corey DeAngelis about the battle raging across the country right now for control of America's schools. That's really what it's about in the end. What it's really about is for too long the spirit of the age has been permitted really an unchallenged stronghold on next to the church, the most important institution in this country, education. It's the number one budget item, I guarantee you, in every state budget in the country, is education. There is no way, no amount of homeschooling, which I firmly believe in, to the point I did it in my own home, and still am, by the way, but there is no amount of homeschooling, nothing you can do that will shelter you from the reality of the the next generation being churned out of those indoctrination centers. And so the, the MacGuffin here might be masking your kids or not vaccinating the teachers or not but really what it's about is control of that shibboleth so we'll get into that conversation at the bottom of this hour next hour i had an epiphany this morning 
Uh, and I want to address it on Theology Thursday because there's a reasonable chance it'll be our last Theology Thursday for a while with baby McIntyre's pending arrival. Sort of what I felt on Monday, there were some things I needed to say. There's, there's something I need to address from a theological perspective, and we'll get to that here uh, in the next hour of the show, and then we'll simmer things down a bit with three non-political questions at the end. But before we get there, here is Aaron's rundown of what happened while we were away. What happened while we were away brought to you by This Is Going Well. The stock prices of Moderna and Pfizer dropped yesterday after news that the EU is looking into a new set of side effects for the mRNA COVID therapeutic jabs. The European Medicines Agency is looking into links between skin rash, a couple of kidney disorders, and other side effects as well. Headline from The Hill, fully vaccinated man dies of COVID-19. Daughter says he was cautious. One of the bullet points from this story says, quote, Doctors said the condition of the father could have been worse if he was not vaccinated at all, end quote. Meanwhile, Dr. Fauci says COVID-19 booster shots will be recommended for those already vaccinated with weakened immune systems. A county judge in Texas has issued a temporary restraining order against Texas Governor Greg Abbott's mask mandate ban. Also in Texas, the petty tyrant Judge Clay Jenkins has reinstated an indoor mask mandate in all schools, businesses, and county buildings within Dallas County. In the UK, however, Public Health England medical advisor Dr. Susan Hopkins says... The consensus view is very strongly to not advise school children at primary school age to wear face coverings. This is for two reasons. One is that they can have difficulties wearing them and keeping them on all day. And the second part of that is that it's really important that they can see facial expressions in order to develop their communications and language skills. A new study from Carnegie Mellon found those with PhDs are the most likely to be vaccine hesitant. Stanford University announced recently they'll be requiring weekly COVID testing for their school year for all students and staff beginning in August, regardless of whether students have had the vaccine or not. Also in California, Governor Gavin Newsom announced yesterday all school staff in the state will be required to be vaccinated or face mandatory regular testing. Former California Governor Arnold Schwarzenegger wants you to know you're a selfish SOB for pushing back on the CDC. Not just to think about, well, my freedom is being kind of disturbed here. No, screw your freedom. Because with freedom comes obligations and, uh, and kind of responsibilities. We cannot just say, I have the right to do X, Y, and Z. When you affect other people. In other news, the White House has some thoughts about the Taliban amidst their swift retaking of Afghanistan. The Taliban also has to make an assessment about what they want their role to be in the international community. Checking in on Joe Biden, who confused Michigan Governor Gretchen Whitmer with his energy secretary, Jennifer Granholm. I think we're making some real progress, but thank you, Jennifer, for what you've done and continue to do. Learning Chinese today, today's phrase is, sometimes players get their hose mixed up, am I right? The University of Pittsburgh likely harvested organs from babies born alive and then left them to die with funding from the National Institutes of Health. That's according to analysis from a trove of FOIA documents obtained by Judicial Watch. Update on critical racist theory. This comes to us from WSB-TV in Georgia. Parent Kyla Posey says she can't believe a principal thought separating students according to race was a good idea. We've lost sleep trying to figure out, like, why would a person do this? Kyla Posey says she was stunned when she learned about classes segregated by race at Maryland Elementary last year, a practice she says was put in place and condoned by Principal Sharon Briscoe. First, it was 
just disbelief that I was having this conversation in 2020 with a person that looks just like me, a black woman. It's segregating classrooms. You cannot segregate classrooms. It's, you can't do it. Posey says she found out the school was putting black students in two separate classes with two separate teachers. The white kids were placed in six classes with six different teachers. The parent says she found this out when she let Briscoe know she wanted her child placed in the classroom of a teacher she thought would be a good fit. Posey says the principal said that wouldn't work. She said that that's not one of the black classes and I immediately said, what does that mean? Um, I was confused. I asked for more clarification on I was like, we have those in the school? And she proceeded to say that, yes, I have decided that um, I'm going to place all of the black students in two classes. Posey says she insisted her child be placed in a class with white students. She says Briscoe explained her child would be isolated. And I explained to her she shouldn't be isolated or punished because I'm unwilling to go along with your illegal and unethical practice. The Posies recorded a call with an assistant principal where they complained about the segregated classes. The administrator confirmed it was the principal's decision and seemed to offer an explanation why the classes were set up this way. It, 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 we have more black kids too, and then, and then some of them are in a class because of the services that they need. Kyla Posey has filed this discrimination complaint with the U.S. Department of Education's Office of Civil Rights. Her attorney, Sharice Shields, says what's going on at Mary Lynn is a violation of Title VI of the Civil Rights Act of 1964. And finally, this from the Babylon Bee. Students across America excited to finally return to in-person indoctrination. And that's what happened while we were away. Well, if you could use a drink after watching all of that, have I got a suggestion for you. It's 5 o'clock somewhere, right? Uh, check out our friends over at Patriot Wine. Uh, they've got world-class wine grown at about 9,000 feet, the third highest vineyard on this planet from Argentina. Uh, no inflated prices, some of the best Malbec grapes on planet Earth, and their wines taste phenomenal. Each of us have tried it. Uh, you've got notes of blackberry, dark cherry, leather smoke. Each of us gave it a thumbs up. Uh, great for grilling season, goes great red wine does with red meat uh, as well. No inflated prices, not loaded with fillers, 90% less sugar than even the best wines you'd buy at a store. Here you're getting, folks, top quality wine for half of the price. 50% off for our audience today. 50% off. You don't need a promo code. You just need to go to PatriotWine2021.com and enjoy. 50% off at PatriotWine2021.com. This, um, this is another day where you look at this, what Aaron has highlighted here. And you're just almost, you're just almost overwhelmed by it. Um, Stanford University, for those of you that don't recall, we talked a lot about them last year because they did one of the pu first publicly released antibody studies in the country in the early days of lockdowns. And they set a trend that the CDC just has kept going, right? Over. No, they, they didn't. Okay. Uh, Stanford uh, doctors and professors have been hired by Major League Baseball to help with their antibody studies and their COVID restrictions. We're talking about a university that like 1% of kids who even get admitted to colleges in America could get into. It is probably the elite university west of the Mississippi in this country. You know the story of Stanford, by the way? You know how it was created? Cool story. It was created from a Christian family that 
um, their son could not get in. Was he, they, he could not get into, I think, Harvard or Yale, maybe both. And uh, and then I think it was uh, tuberculosis or polio, I believe, one of those two, and he passed away at too young of an age. So they established an elite university out west named after him. It's hmm. named after the Stanford family. I believe that's the story or hmm. something along those lines. Okay. So we're, we're talking about an elite of elite universities. I believe it's rated the number four medical school in America. And it is now going to weekly test the vaccinated and the unvaccinated the same. That's a yo. Now, why would they do that? They're a private school. They're probably not as concerned about civil rights issues as maybe a public university does. Why would they do that? I might have a reason why. Can I give it to you? Sure. The Massachusetts Department of Health updated its COVID breakthrough numbers yesterday. And we talked about this a few days ago, what their numbers were last week, right? The state has na- is now approaching almost 10,000 confirmed COVID infections involving people that are fully vaccinated. Among those almost 10,000, 2,232 were recorded in the last week. A quarter of them in the last week. 106 fully vaccinated people in Massachusetts have died after suffering a breakthrough infection. There were 50 new breakthrough hospitalizations over the past week. That might be why. That might be why Stanford is now going to weekly test the vaccinated and the unvaccinated alike. Let's tie a few things together. Yesterday, um, the head of Oxford University's AstraZeneca program said that he thinks their vaccine can no longer help the country get to herd immunity because it has lost too much efficacy from a transmission standpoint with these new variants and mutations. And given what I'm guessing are fairly low natural immunity numbers there, remember this country just came out of lockdown on July the 19th. The UK hasn't even been open for a month. So given the limited amount of natural immunity I think they have there compared to a country like ours, where Los Angeles County was one of the most locked down populous counties in the country, and it reported a seroprevalence of about 85% earlier this year. So given the limited natural immunity in the UK, probably compared to the resistance we have shown here in the US to being locked down, he's right. And we're seeing the same thing even Pfizer's own data now, and I, and I promise you, 
the data in the studies is always better than the real-time data. Always. Because that's that's where the rooster guard in the hen house. He, he tells you what you know what the uh what, what, what the data is. So you gotta check that against mm-hmm. what's going on in the real world. Um, Pfizer's own insider data shows it's down to about 42% transmission efficacy against COVID at the moment. That's Pfizer's own data. Sorry, I got a hair on my nose making me itch. I'm not picking it, Jerry Seinfeld. Okay. Um, if Pfizer's admitting that it's vaccine, knowing what it would do to their stock price, if Pfizer is admitting that their vaccine is down to 42% transmission efficacy here, according to an analysis that was done by this analysis, by the way, came from Mayo Clinic of Pfizer's data. If, if they're, if they're admitting that, what do you think the number really is? You know, if that's, if that's the number they're admitting and here's why that matters. If we're only talking here about something that is at best a therapeutic what is the justification for any kind? Let's see, I'll, for just a minute, let's even set aside the constitutional question. Because this has been adjudicated on a constitutional level several times in the nation's history with things like tuberculosis and polio especially. But let's set that aside for a second. Setting aside the constitutional question, just strictly from a medical ethics perspective, like the Nuremberg Code, all right? What is the justification for mandating something that doesn't show much effective efficacy in stopping human-to-human transmission? At this point, if we're dealing with a therapeutic, see, the mandate for the masks was justified on the basis that we, we agree that the mask won't stop you from getting infected. It'll stop you from infecting somebody else, which is a total lie. Okay, but that was the justification, yes. right? Because the reason that you would do this is to stop somebody from being irresponsible and infecting somebody else, correct? Yes. That's the justification for it. Now, did the data show that it worked one iota anywhere on planet Earth? No. No. But was that not the original justification for it? Yes. And then it was almost exactly this to this day a year ago that the language changed when then-CDC Director Robert Redfield told a congressional panel under oath that the mask would then protect him from COVID more than the vaccine. But up until that time, the narrative was that the masks are there to stop you from infecting other people, and that's the justification for a mandate, right? Yes. Okay. If we're already admitting now that transmission efficacy is all but gone, as you see in these numbers for Massachusetts, which, guys, this is very similar to what we saw in Israel like two weeks ago. Very similar. Now the overall death numbers are down and the average death of those who had a breakthrough death with COVID is 82. Which by the way, do you know what the average death with COVID before we had these vaccines was? Almost 79. See, they keep pointing out that the overall death rate if you get vaccinated is very low and that's true. But the overall death rate for everyone whether vaccinated or unvaccinated, is very low. And I'm going to go back to their original data and prove it to you here in just a minute. So stay tuned for this. I'm going to, I'm going to bring it home. I'm going, to, I'm, going to, I'm going to close the loop here, okay? But this is a very important point that you should take. I'm inundated right now. And I'm, I mean, I'm, veterans, 
military personnel, teachers, medical professionals. People, my, uh, one of my best buddies told me his wife is working from home still. And their company is trying to get them her to force a jab on her. If these things have limited to n- almost null person-to-person transmission, last Friday, CDC director Rochelle Walensky said on CNN, they don't limit person-to-person transmission any longer. And now we're getting more and more data that shows exactly what that looks like. It's what you're seeing in Israel right now. In New York State, One of the most vaccinated states in the country from June 9th to August 9th, 60 days. Cases have gone up in that state 522%. Is that a lot? Yeah. Yeah. So if, if the vaccine doesn't stop you from transmitting it to someone else, then what in the world is the medical ethical justification for this? On a Hippocratic Oath level, on a Nuremberg Code level, what is, let's just set aside, let's pretend we don't have a constitution. What is the medical, because we almost don't, what what is the medical ethical justification for this? And maybe that's why you're seeing so many of those PhDs are the least likely to take those injections, if you know what I'm saying. I do. Yeah. Let's test it out on you plebes first. I mean, we're, we're really smart here. We're important. We're solving the world's problems. Let, let's see what you plebes, how it works with you plebes first and get back to us. We'll watch, we'll observe you little lab rats in real time, like a kid with an anthill. You're not even joking. No, I'm not joking. I'm no, not, there's no, you. there is no tongue in cheek here on any level at all. What he just said is as real as it gets right You there. are the test a, subject. Yes. You are. You're the real time human trial right now. You are. How do you like your piece of cheese, you rat? There is no medical justification for that. No. Because the medical justification would be you're a transmitter and you could kill somebody else, right? That would be the medical justification. There isn't. That's out. So then what are the other reasons? They were all bad probably to begin with, but now they don't have even a good lie, a noble lie. You know what I'm saying? They can't even throw at you that, well, this would stop you from being selfish and infecting somebody else. Their data doesn't even provide them that any longer. So last night, you know, this is what I do for fun. Um, Last night, I decided to go back and look at the original human trial data for the Pfizer vaccine, because that's the most used one. And that's the one that Israel used exclusively. And as I was looking at their original trial data, I found a study that I had missed earlier this year that came out of Israel and was published in the New England Journal of Medicine at the time. And this study was done third party by Israeli health officials and academics to observe the effectiveness of the Pfizer vaccine in real time. Meaning they wanted they, they they wanted to get a second opinion, not just take Pfizer's word for it, right? Right. And boy, did they come up with a sample size here. They took a hundred and uh, um, or, I'm sorry, six hundred thousand pairs of vaccinated and unvaccinated people, or sixty thousand pairs, I think it is, of vaccinated and unvaccinated people. I added an extra zero there, unfortunately, to my tweet. It's sixty thousand pairs, so one hundred and twenty thousand people. That's, that'll provide you some data, right? Yeah. Here's what they found. 
only 41 of those people died out of 120,000 people. Only 41. Nine of them were fully vaccinated. The other 32 were not. Out of the 120,000 people they looked at, only 0.03% died of COVID overall. 0.008% of vaccinated, 0.026% of unvaccinated. Now, if you want to get down to the nitty gritty, 66% more of unvaccinated people died compared to vaccinated. Okay? But here's the problem. You're only looking at the numerator. The number you want to look at here is the denominator. Out of how many people? Right? Yeah. Because this isn't a risk-free injection. Is this a risk-free injection? Nothing no. is. No. Not, first of all, nothing is. But the EU now is, is now looking at three new, three new things I'd not even heard yet. Okay? That haven't even shown up in my inbox yet. So it's not a risk-free injection. This is revolutionary technology. We've never injected, into, injected it into people before. So then, what you need to ask yourself, and, and so what this showed from the very beginning, from the very beginning, it showed 21% of the minuscule death numbers were fully vaccinated. From the very beginning, it shows that the whole debate about a risk ratio calculus was there from the start. Meaning, given the low overall chances of dying from this, from most of us, regardless, is the juice worth the jab? Is it worth the risk? Is it? Especially when they continue to ignore natural immunity. There's another study out today that's in a preprint on natural immunity is better for the win again. That's on my Twitter feed, courtesy of our friend Andrew Boston. Nothing's changed from the beginning of this entire endeavor. And the Israeli real-time study there to get their own read on Pfizer's data, the numbers are different, but the ratio hasn't changed. The same calculus remains. Is your risk of dying from this? Worthy of taking this injection. Now, before they would have said yes, because you could cause somebody else to die, right? See, this is where I'm going to bring it home. Ready? We're bringing the sermon home right now. Get ready. We're going to testify. That was the toughest objection to overcome, right? We're all pro-life here. It's what we said last year about masks. If the data showed masks work, we would have told you, wear a damn mask. We might have still been against mask mandates on some principled level, but then we would have turned right around and said, put on your damn mask. Wouldn't we have said that? Probably. We're pro-lifers here. We would have done that, but they don't work. So it's not just that they're a nuisance and suck. It's that they're a tool of ignorance. They don't work. They symbolize something else, which we should be opposed to. So the biggest objection to this all along was, okay, even if the death numbers are low, you could cause someone else to die, right? Right. But now if you're telling me that there's little to no transmission efficacy to this, is that still talking point still on the table then? No, it's not, which means for all of us now, it really is an individual personal choice. Which risk am I more comfortable taking? Risking the 20 to 30 year impact of even an asymptomatic exposure to a virus of likely malevolent, if not at least questionable origin, or 
the risk 20 to 30 years of an injection also of an experimental questionable origin. And there's really no clear answer to that. If I was 75, I'd probably have a clear answer to that. I'm not necessarily worried about the next 20 to 30 years, am I? No. If I'm 25 or 35, might I be a little bit more concerned about that? Yeah. We're right back to where we started from the very beginning. Your thoughts? It's a feature, not a bug. For whatever reason, that uh, we never really moved. And it's, it's just incredible. It's incredible the last month, the last two, three weeks, even though some on the right, it's incredible to watch how this is just unraveling or there's an attempt to unravel this like there was back in March. Now I see hospitals. Um, there's one, I believe, in either Dallas or Austin, Texas, setting up a tr- tent for overflow t- patients. Now, I don't know if their hospitals are overrun, but outside of a few places in New York and New Jersey, no hospitals were. Remember the one in but Seattle? One of the biggest hot spots? They never saw a patient. We're re-racking the same thing over and over and over again. Go look at cases and deaths. Most importantly, hospitalizations for the last year and a half. And you'll see again... It's a scam then, and it's even an even bigger scam now. We'll get in the battle for control of the schools here next. Man, if you're struggling with chronic pain in the body, now I'm not talking about, hey, I was doing work outside, fell off the ladder, and now I'm really sore, something hurts. No, that's an injury. Okay, go get professional medical health. I'm talking about the chronic type of achiness and uh, and pain, the just stiffness, that soreness that just doesn't go away. Chances are that's inflammation talking to you. What can you do about it? Well, I mean, you could go get uh, something from Big Pharma. It might help you mask the symptoms. But what about something all natural that'll help you beat back the inflammation causing the pain itself? Something like the product that I use. It's called Omega XL, backed by 35 years of clinical research. It neutralizes the inflammation that is causing your pain. And if you want to try it today, you can with a buy one bottle get a second one for free buy one get a second one for free when you go to omegaxl.com slash steve that's omegaxl.com slash steve or give them a call at 800-844-4888 that's 800-844-4888 well i mentioned here at the top of the show about the interview we were about to do that uh the MacGuffin here is that it's about um, masking the kids or vaccinating the teachers or the students. But, but that's, the, that's the MacGuffin. What it's really about is control. Who's really in control of these government-funded uh, establishments of education or indoctrination? Who's really in control of your child when they're there all day? Is it you as a parent and or a taxpayer? Or is it something more, shall we say, nefarious? That's really the battle that's being waged here. Let's talk about it now with Corey DeAngelis. He is the National Director of Research for School Choice Now, uh, and we welcome him to the program. Good to see you again, Corey. How are you? Doing well. Thanks for having me again. So, Corey, first and foremost, do you agree with my premise there that what this is really about 
is control. And the MacGuffin driving it is the is the contemporary uh, debates. But really, ultimately, parents across the country have decided we, we've just given you guys way too much control for way too long. And and it's time we're and, and we probably should have drawn this line like 25 years ago, but we can't do anything about that. So we're going to try and draw it today. Yeah, I mean, the way that I put it before is that COVID didn't break the public school system. It was already broken in a lot of ways. And this past year and a half has simply shined a spotlight on that main problem with the K-12 education system, which happens to be a massive power imbalance that's long existing between the government school monopoly and individual families. And I do think a lot of this is, is about control. And with the masking debate going forward, I think that the teachers union's like all of this chaos because they can use the state of disorder and point at it as leverage for extorting more funding from the taxpayer going forward. It's kind of hard to argue for more resources when everything is going great. So when they can create this sense of confusion and uncertainty, they can use that as an argument for needing more resources, even even in addition to what we've already given them through Congress, $190 billion since March of 2020 in order to return to that state of normalcy. But look, at, at the same time, as you've alluded to a second ago, the teachers unions are really destroying their own empire here. Families are figuring out that there isn't any good reason to fund these failing government institutions when you can fund the student directly instead. 17 states have already expanded or enacted new programs to fund students directly this past year. We're calling it the year of school choice. So in a way, we should actually thank Randy Weingarten and the teachers unions for being the biggest allies of school choice this past year. Accidentally. Sort of, sort of like how Barack Obama was the greatest gun salesman of all time. Um, the funding at the building level. I saw something from you last week that I, some schadenfreude, I just, I could not help but enjoy in that, the in edu, the the educrats opposed to DeSantis in Florida, yeah. they want this now for in order for their kids to escape places that they won't mask, right? So I mean, like it seems like they're actually making our argument here for us, aren't they? Well, the teachers unions have backed themselves into a corner in Florida. They don't like the ban on mask ma- mandates. They want to be able to force all kids to to mask in a school, regardless of the family's choice. And the union does, didn't like DeSantis's order allowing the families to choose. And so the Florida Department uh, Board of Education actually came back and said, OK, well, you don't like it, then let the kids go somewhere else. Let them have a HOPE scholarship to go to a private school if they disagree with the decision when it comes to masks in the public schools. And it goes both ways. If you don't like that there's a mask mandate in your school or if you don't like that not everybody is wearing masks, you get a scholarship about 7000 bucks to go to a private school. And so the teachers unions kind of did this to themselves and shot themselves in the foot. And Florida already did this, and there's other states that are already proposing this as well. Just yesterday, 26 Republican legislators in Arizona, for example, uh, proposed for the governor to do an executive order to do the same thing. Let the families decide. Let them take their children's, all families, regardless of income, take their children's education dollars to the provider that best meets their needs and most aligns with their values. I mean, they they wanted to tout there was this poll in Florida. Now, I talked to somebody in DeSantis's political operation about this last week, and they're like, 
Uh, that's not what our numbers show. And you'll notice that uh, the other Democrat running the Ag Commissioner, she said last week she's against mask mandates in the schools. She's looking at the same internal polling we are. But anyway, there was a public poll in Florida last week that tried to claim 61% of Floridians want mask mandates in the schools. Let's just, I, I, yeah, I'm a poker player. We'll just call your bluff. Okay. Cool. Let's just put all we'll put all our chips in the table here. I'll show my cards, you show yours, and we'll let parents decide if they want to go to schools where the kids are abused and muzzled uh, for absolutely no return on investment whatsoever, or if they want their kids to breathe the free air and be tr- and be treated like actual human beings. And by golly, uh, let's just we'll just let the marketplace then decide at that point. Yeah, I think that's the best way to do it. Um, Tennessee Speaker of the House called for the same thing. He signaled that he thought that this was a good idea. Mask vouchers. Personally, I don't think it should even matter what the masking rule is. You're in your I, school, I agree. But, I, but, but it, if that, if that is our MacGuffin to get to the place that you're talking about, then I'm totally fine taking advantage of that moment. Because once you give parents at least a little bit of that empowerment, Corey, they're never going to give it back. It's hard for people that have never been granted something to contemplate that they could handle something they've never been granted. But once they've been granted that, human nature has a tendency to not want to give back that which has already been granted, right? That's exactly right. I mean, you saw this in Florida. Uh, the Wall Street Journal said that the that Governor DeSantis won in 2018 because of school choice moms, that demographics that wouldn't have normally voted for him were using a school choice program in large numbers. And uh, DeSantis's opponent said that he would get rid of those scholarships for hundreds of thousands of kids. Uh, that might have tipped the governor's race in favor of DeSantis. So look, the the teachers unions are an entrenched special interest right now, and they hold on to their monopoly for dear life. But look, families are waking up and they're going to continue fighting against that power imbalance in the K-12 public school system. And once they get that power, once they have the choice of, of taking their children's education dollars to the education provider that works best for them, they fight really, really hard to keep it and they make school choice a voting issue. Is there a way, do you guys offer a resource where people can find out For example, I think there were seven states this past year in their legislative sessions that my state of Iowa was one of them that did laws like doing forever mask mandate bans in schools, like like on a on a, you know, civil code level. Is there do you you guys provide a resource where people can go and see what are other states doing? What what is their state doing, et cetera? Yeah, for masks, if you look at the Burbio School Mask Tracker, if you Google that, you'll find it, B-U-R-B-I-O, School Mask Tracker. You'll see that 10 states, all with Democratic governors, uh, mandate and force all kids to wear masks in public schools. About eight states, including Texas and Florida, for example, uh, allow all families to have the choice. And then the other states, it's somewhere in between where it's up to the the, uh, public school districts instead of the families or instead of the state. And if you want to see the victories of funding students as opposed to systems this year, you can go to School Choice Victories, American Federation for Children. If you Google that, you'll find the 17 states that have empowered more families this year. And the best part about it is the teachers unions are really destroying their own empire. They did this to themselves, and it's just a glorious victory for educational freedom. I hope they keep it up. If they keep this nonsense up when it comes to mass or curriculum that parents don't like, everyone's going to see that the heart of the issue here is the one-size-fits-all government school system. But one-size-fits-all government school system is where you get power. Uh, Choice, competition, meritocracy uh, devolves power 
um, because it incentivizes people to keep trying to acquire it if they lost out on it the last time. If you want to have perpetual consolidated power, then you have a strong central government, one size fits all structure, which is why they've resisted these attempts for decades now. If, if there are parents in our did you want to comment on that? Oh, I'm just thinking about how, um, look, the, the, the silver lining is, is this when it comes to K-12 education in America. The jig is up for the teachers unions. Parents are never going to give that back to the teachers unions. They, they, they never want to feel powerless like they did over this past year ever again. So I think they're going to keep fighting at the school board meetings. I think they're going to keep going to the state legislators, legislatures to push for bills to empower them by funding the student directly. Finally, do you have some advice that our parents may be listening right now, want to want to organize, get together in their school district, school board elections coming up here in early to mid-September, pretty much all over the country, kids going back to school here uh, within the next uh, few weeks. What advice would you give them? I would say go to fundstudentsnotsystems.org, fundstudentsnotsystems.org. Uh, you can go there and look for bills that are, going on in your state to empower more families and you can rally together and channel that energy towards the best solution, which isn't a perfect solution, but it's the best solution we have in front of us when it comes, whether it comes to the critical race theory debates, whether it comes to masking debates or just failing institutions, when it comes to academic outcomes in the school system, that best solution is to allow families to take their education dollars to the best provider. Then those providers would have true incentives Mm -hmm. to cater to the needs of families. So, for example, Iowa, we have some of the best homeschooling laws in America. Our family's taken advantage of that. I've been a part of helping to organize uh, the efforts to make that the case. But we've never been able to crack the code that uh, the state is still getting $13,000 for me from me for uh, for two of my children. One of them's graduated. Uh, my son is in a Christian school. My old, my youngest daughter is still being homeschooled. So they get thirteen grand a piece for each of those kids that have never set foot in any one of their government school buildings. The, we, the reason you want this instead of a strict kind of a voucher system is because now you're disarming the monolith, right? You're you're not. They're not getting credit for your student not being there. Okay, they're they're or, or you're, they're getting credit no longer or no longer getting credit for your student being there when they're not. And that's why this is a key thing in ultimately uh, disarming the power base here that they have within this system. Yeah, and if you want, if you still want your public school, you can keep your public school. It's just the, when the funding follows the child, you can choose the public if you want. The money can still go there, the 13000 But if not, with things like education savings accounts, some of that money could follow you to pay for homeschooling expenses, micro schools, pandemic pods, tutoring, any approved education expenditure, which could also be private school tuition and fees. And in Iowa, I think the average private school tuition is only about five or six thousand mm-hmm. dollars, whereas the government schools are spending twice that amount. Give families half and they'll be able to you'll be able to save the taxpayers some money. You'll be able to save the public schools some money and you'd be able to benefit families from allowing them to have more educational opportunities. Corey, one more time. Can you give our audience that website, please? Yeah. Fundstudentsnotsystems.org. All right. Good job, man. Appreciate your work. Thank you for joining us today. Okay. Take care. Thank you so much, Steve. All right. Todd, let's get your thoughts as someone that's doing this battle in his own uh, government school district as we speak. What do you think? Well, I'm not sure until this week if I had heard him last week uh, that that, uh, I would have been as optimistic. But these videos I'm seeing 
out of the school boards this week as August ramps up and uh, we're getting ready to go back to school. There, there is a militancy in parents across the country that I have prayed for, and if they can sustain it, it it will be a win. It, but it must be sustained. Sustained is the key. And you know, I I, I saw this morning really promising video out of Ohio. Same battle, different or different arena or theater with nurses and, and medical right, professionals right. in Dayton, Ohio. Same thing. Saying we just refuse to go along with your forced jab program. And, and this is a good segue to where we're going to go here at the top of the next hour of Theology Thursday, okay? Folks, those are excellent steps. Even the massive event that took place in suburban Nashville is an excellent first step. I know that's a big step for most of us compared to the level of activism we've done on a confrontational level most of our lives because we just didn't feel like it was necessary. But I can promise you, given the, given the level of, of, of enemy we're up against, it is going to have to be just a first step. I mean, it, wasn't, it was about this time or a little bit earlier last year that you sat around and were inundated with images of mostly peaceful riots. Remember that? Yes. The same forces... The same spirit of the age that propelled that mania and then tried to shamelessly gaslight you and spin it to you in your face is also what's in control of these schools. And so understand that. We have to finish. We're going to have to be persistent here. I've gotten so many emails from people asking me, and I'm starting just to forward them to you now, uh, asking me, you know, what's Todd's secret? We've joked about it in the past, but dude, it's like, oh crap, man, Erson's here again. Like that, that's the secret. That level of persistence, that gear, I give zero Fs, I don't care. I, I, I don't care that cat lady, pagan, Wicca, Wicca chick in the back lost her mind and rolled her eyes and will Facebook because I got up to speak it again. Screw her. I'm, I'm here for my kids, not for her. Right. Oh, exactly. That level of persistence of, of I don't care. There's not a number in known mathematics that adequately describes how little I care what you think of me. That's what's going to be required because there's a, there's a level of shameless gaslighting and malevolence here that is not going to be persuaded by just one show of force. Your amen. thoughts? Amen. I mean, and if if you don't, uh, under, th- th- these people love their little public place. They got into this because they think it makes it a little mini superstar being part of the school board and things like that. But they don't, to Steve's point, they don't like it when I make it public the way I make things public mm-hmm. across social media. Because now you're making it more oh, painful for oh. them than it is for you. Oh, yes, You've changed yes. the math. That's what we're talking about, I've done right? It right in the middle of the parking lot with everybody to see. I find them in those moments and I make them wear that. They hate that and they scurry like cockroaches. And I just think as well, we, we've said this, we've said this too. Persistence, yes. But being in, in a, a part of a, a group of parents, you, that's there's strength in numbers. They don't care. Most of these school boards, they don't care about all the data and all the eloquent speeches that you can give, although those are important. If you show up with a group of parents to your school board meeting to speak, maybe your speech is just, hi, my name is X, Y, and Z. I'm not going to be masking my kids. Next. Yes. Hour two is next.
back with Hour 2, live and on demand here on Blaze TV, radio and podcast. I'm Steve Dace, Aaron McIntyre, and Todd Erzin are here with me as well. Let us know what you think about what we think via the SteveDace.com inbox. That's Steve at SteveDace.com, D-E-A-C-E. Like us on Facebook. Uh, like us as well on MeWe, Parlor, Gab, and Getter. Follow me on Twitter at Steve Dace Show, and then get clips of the show that are both free to watch and then free of censorship from Big Tech at rumble.com slash Steve Dace show. Last name again, D-E-A-C-E. Thanks again to all of you that uh, listen to the podcast. Uh, We appreciate it. If you would hit five-star reviews up for us and also the subscribe and follow button, whatever the case may be on your podcast platform. So many of you have done that for for us already and have played a huge role in our show's uh, success over the last year and a half. Thank you to each and every one of you. If you've not had the chance to do that yet, uh, please consider doing that for us today or uh, sometime in the near future. All right, we're going to start Theology Thursday here in a moment. First, though, let me tell you that uh, free email services like Gmail and Yahoo aren't really free. Uh, you pay with your privacy. Uh, in fact, Internet giants like Big Tank, they, uh, Big Tech, who are trying to tank us, uh, they bank on exploiting your data by selling it to the highest bidder. Uh, your business plan, Google has it, your medical records, Yahoo probably sold those to drug companies already. This is why you want to use a product like Startmail to keep your email private. Email Every email can be encrypted, even if the recipient doesn't use encryption. And when you delete your email with Startmail, it's gone forever. And they have their own services, servers, by the way. They don't use something like an Amazon, so they cannot uh, be put out of business like what happened to the poor folks over at Parler temporarily. Easily transfer over all of your email data. There's no starting over from scratch. Going to Startmail is seamless. Uh, And it's also backed by the most stringent privacy laws in the world. If you want to start securing your email privacy with Startmail, sign up today. Get 50% off your first year when you go to startmail.com slash Steve. That's start with a T. Startmail.com slash Steve. Startmail.com slash Steve. And get 50% off here today. All right, coming up in the overtime today, after today's program, we are going to stick around following the show and record that for you for our Blaze TV subscribers and then upload it later today at blazetv.com slash dace. You'll be able to watch that. We're going to answer, or at least I'm going to answer the question. I'm getting a lot right now. And Todd and Aaron will tell me what they think of the answer I'll give. But the question I'm being asked a lot right now is what is the bigger issue? COVID stan or election integrity? And I'm going to talk about that today in the overtime at blazetv.com slash dace. And if you're not yet a Blaze TV subscriber and you want to make sure you get in on that conversation, become one today at a discount at blazetv.com slash dace. That's blazetv.com slash dace. Let's get to Theology Thursday. And this is going to be another uh, tank emptier because... The stork could land at the McIntyre household at any moment. So this could be the last Theology Thursday we do here for a couple of weeks. Who knows? And I think these next couple of weeks are are of prime importance when it comes to the freedom your kids will be able to enjoy the education experience here that's about to begin in the next few weeks. Uh, The freedom that you may or may not be able to continue to have to not be a lab rat in a human trial experiment for a virus with a 0.59 case fatality rate. 
So time is of the essence. And I, I, I want to lay out for you something that isn't a specific Bible study or particular theological question. And we've done a lot of that recently. I want to lay out for you something that is more of a theological perspective. Okay? When I first started doing this years ago, I, you know, I, I've mentioned this on the program before when I was on my own running this thing. Yeah, I had a board of directors that provided funding and prayer and guidance, but none of them were radio people. None of them. So, I mean, they were successful businessmen, but from a radio standpoint, I was basically on my own. You know, they were like, well, you tell us whether we should go with that company or not. That's what we're paying you to know. <laughs> okay. And so I'm doing this independently, uh, trying to work my way up the food chain. And I'd go to exhibition shows and conferences where you get a chance to put yourself in front of distributors and syndicators and uh, state radio station owners and things of that nature and, and sell yourself. And, and I'd get asked on more than one occasion, you know, is your show a conservative show or is it a Christian show? And I would always respond back with, is it a good show? If it's a good show, then you should, you should sign up for it. Now, really worried about having it fit into a particular genre. Is it just a good show? And I, I really wanted to, and still do, I mean, it's the prime directive of this show, is to use the, the platform provided and the talents bestowed from our creator to, to try to do at least, who knows, man, if it's a, it's a tally mark, you know, in the grand scheme of things, who knows if it's, you know, a, a far more substantial contribution than that. I, I don't know the answer. I just know that I've always wanted this show, even as it goes through evolutions and, and things of that nature or staff changes from the beginning, I wanted, I kind of looked at what Rush did at making mainstream conservative politics or making conservative politics mainstream again that it could be mainstream in the media and that it could be something that is both informative and entertaining as a broadcasting entity. Because I don't think those things are mutually exclusive. Now, tuning in for, you know, uh, uh, this isn't a lecture hall. It's a show. It's a show. We're not an institute. We're a network. And so I, I wanted to see if, if that what Rush did for conservatism could be done for a biblical worldview. And so who knows whether, you know, in the end, when we're done here, if we, you know, just made a scratch and dent into a, into a death star, or, you know, we went Thelma and Louise, man, in a blaze of glory, but that's the goal is to use whatever we can when the, when the run of this program is done, that, that we use this platform first and foremost, more than anything else, before impacting elections, way of life, making money, anything else. That the number one objective was we helped bring a biblical worldview back into the mainstream of America 
So even if it was just a skosh, but it was further ahead than it was when this show started. That's the number one goal. Everything else is second to that. Everything else is. And on given days, we probably argue with each other sometimes what is second. All right. But there's, a, there's always a clear number one. That's the prime directive here if we were the Federation. But I had an epiphany this morning. See, I, I always thought and came into this believing and probably thought this until just this morning, actually, that that was the biggest challenge of this show was to take something that says belongs on a narrow road, right? And broadcast it wide. How do you take something that a message that says, yeah, this is really going to be a narrow gate here. All right, cool. Let me try to make that appeal to as many people as possible without compromising any of its narrowness. That I always thought that would be the big challenge. And I, I thought that until about seven o'clock this morning. And I had an epiphany. That the desire to bring the biblical worldview into the mainstream is not this show's biggest challenge. It's the other way around. It's the show's biggest selling point. A lot of you think I'm really smart. A lot of the staff I work with here at The Blaze thinks that. A lot of people I went to school with think that. I might be really clever. I might be quick-minded. I also failed the quick trip managerial exam. I also could not get into the University of Michigan because I scored perfect on two facets of the ACT. And then when we got to the math, I got so exhausted from not knowing answers, I just began to draw pictures in the bubbles. That, by the way, was not a good standardized test-taking practice for anybody wondering. Okay. And now, of course, I spend most of my day breaking down other people's math and data, right? Um, I laughed out loud the other day um, for my wife's birthday. I, I, I bought her a master bath remodel with some of our book royalties. And uh, somebody asked me the other day, oh, wow, are you DIYing it? I did the whole J. Jonah Jameson from the Tobey Maguire Spider-Man. <laughs> Wait, you're serious? Uh, no, folks. No, 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 no. All right. I, if, there's, if it comes assembly, if it says assembly required at Christmas, I tell, I've always told the kids, take it to your mom. No. I've got a 16-year-old daughter right now that desperately wants a car. Right? She went and got herself a job and everything else to show me she's responsible. I'm a little hesitant to buy her one, though. Because right now I can only afford something in like the two to $4,000 range. And I mean, that's going to have 150, 200,000 miles on it, right? And I'm not Mr. Fix-It guy. Like the fuel pump goes out or something, you know? So if I buy that car, am I, is it then 500 bucks next month? $1,000 a month after that? 700 bucks, you see what I'm saying? Yeah. So I'm kind of paralyzed with fear, okay? Because she's really working hard and, and I want to reward that in my daughter, but I'm paralyzed for fear of buying a lemon, a money pit, you know? Um, the reason why I think a lot of people think I'm really smart. First of all, everybody in this business is really smart. 
And some are smarter than others, but it's like, this is the big leagues, okay? Everybody on a major league roster is good, right? Yeah. And everybody, every, whether it's man one or man 24, they were the best player at their high school, best player at their college, right? Okay. Everybody at this level of this industry is good. Everybody is. And some are better than others, but everybody's good. Everybody is. And, and as humble as Glenn is, if he were here, he would agree with me. Glenn Beck's one of the greatest talents our industry's ever seen or produced. And he just got inducted into the Hall of Fame. And our success has certainly been, uh, we've been beneficiaries of his to get to where we are, right? Right. But Glenn would also tell you that if there's probably 15 other people in this business, if the same chain of events would have happened to them, they'd also be Hall of Famers now too. You see what I'm saying? There's there, Everybody, it's the same thing in the, in the major leagues. How many guys just never arrived because they blew out an, an elbow or an arm and there was nothing they could do about that, right? But they also were destined for greatness. See, I think what has helped this show now that I, I see it and understand it now more than anything is our reliance on the biblical worldview. That it has, it has given me access to knowledge that everyone else has access to. It's just so few people in our culture these days want to access it. And so in the land of the blind, the one-eyed man is king, right? You're at the rear end kicking contest, all right? You're the only one with, with a leg to kick. You're going to win, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, kind of that whole, if you were the last man on earth, then procreation would be an option, right? Pickings are slim. If we have an entire industry here that by and large ignores or doesn't understand or doesn't utilize the most powerful source of knowledge in the history of this universe, let alone we'll deploy it. We'll like, all right, um, I want that weapon. It never loses. Let's use that one. If I've done anything smart, it's just been that. I just made that choice. That's the only thing I've done. Just let the lion out of its cage. I'm like, well, that's a friggin' lion. I mean, I'm, I guess I could go to war with a salamander, or, you know, or a, you know, a, a, a toad, a squirrel. I kind of like to see what a lion can do. You? What about you? Wanna, I'm kind of. I like winning wars. You like losing? I like those claws. Yeah, yeah. So I'm, I'm, I'm gonna see what the biggest badass in the room can do, and then I'll just start from there. Maybe it'll fail, but I'm gonna make sure. I want, I want the answer to that question first before I try anything else. And I think it's that deployment of the biblical worldview that has given pe people the impression that a kid that failed the math portion of the ACT, that was kicked out of college for not attending a class for an entire semester, and failed the quick trip managerial exam, is somehow really smart and a genius no I'm not I just I'm, I'm very informed on what the owner's manual of the universe says and man when, when you know that the, the level of discernment you have I think that's why our show is often ahead of the curve when it comes to existential events like what's going on with COVID it's the biblical worldview. That's the difference. And 
It's why I'm worried about where we are. Because I look at Europe. For those of you that think we don't need a biblical worldview, and a lot of my peers don't, frankly. We can just do this with Milton Friedman quotations and replaying Ronald Reagan speeches or MAGA hats. That we, that we don't need a biblical worldview. We don't need it. We'll get a bigger mob. Look at the mass protests that went on in the UK for a year. Did it budge the government there at all? Barely. Um, they were pretty, uh, it seemed like what's-his-face got crazier and crazier. Yeah, Boris Johnson. Boris Johnson. Yeah. France right now is seeing the largest protest since the Bastille. Their government is like doubling down on vaccine passports. And did you guys see the video of the cops going table yeah. to table at the, mm-hmm. the, the, on the curbside uh, the cafes in Paris? Yep. See, they've been heavily secularized there and, de- and disarmed. But first they disarmed themselves by getting secularized. First they gave up their biblical worldview. First, they allowed those classic Catholic cathedrals of the Middle Ages to become mosques or shopping malls. 2% of France's population is evangelical. See, first they disarmed themselves morally, spiritually, and when you don't have a biblical worldview, intellectually. Intellectually. See, I believe if I bear false witness, I will be punished by that lion in its cage. Know what I'm saying? Yep. Anthony Fauci doesn't. That's why I'm able to beat somebody far more educated and intelligent than me in arguments. That's it. It's not the data. I go to the data because I fear the lion in its cage. That lion's coming out of the cage. I don't want to come into me. It's a freaking lion. That's what, if you want to know what, therefore, by the grace of God, go I mean, it really means better you than me. <laughs> Rather have that lion going after you than me. That's what it really means. Sooner or later, dude is showing up with a sword in his mouth and a robe dipped in blood. Sooner or later. I don't want to be, you want to be on the wrong side of that? No. Neither do I, man. I don't want to be on the wrong side of that. But if you don't, you don't fear that, you don't care. And you'll lie and shame and gaslight because if you don't fear God, you sure as hell don't fear any of us. In Europe, first, they disarmed themselves morally, spiritually, and intellectually. They took the most important piece of knowledge, the knowledge of God, and they put it on mothballs. And now they're just targets. And of course, after you do that, then you just disarm physically. Now I can't defend myself. I I don't have weapons. I don't have a Second Amendment. Weekend after weekend, they have these massive protests, and they just grow and grow. Last weekend, masses of Italians that are vaccinated went and burned their vaccine passports. Did the Italian government come back and say, you know what, man, 
you're right, are bad. Did they do that? Not to my knowledge. No, and I don't, I don't think they're good to do that. Because they've been conditioned that you don't really mean it. And when I say they, I don't mean government. I mean what's really driving the bus here, the spirit of the age. Those forces have been conditioned. See, first, the spirit of the age watched Europe give up its spiritual heritage. Just abrogate it and say, eh, we're out of here. And so now, they don't believe you mean it. And then even if you do, it doesn't matter because you lack the knowledge and discernment it would take to topple the spirit of the age and you're physically disarmed too. So in the end, the government has the guns. You don't. They have put themselves in a situation where they can protest and protest and protest. That continent right now, barring revival, probably the only chance they have is another French Revolution style of event. Because (laughs) what is their political party representation in those governments? They're conservative parties in these countries. I mean, the Canadian Conservative Party kicked people out who were pro-life and pro-marriage, okay? Kicked them out. There's nowhere for them to go anyway. There's, there's, there's no, this is, <laughs> the reason Brexit happened is because Nigel Farage created a platform for these people's votes to be heard. But notice he had to do this by popular referendum. He could not do it within the legislative parliamentarian process. There's no representation for them. And right now, there's very little representation for us. When I see things like I saw yesterday, uh, here's a woman, Georgia Clark, who's a reporter for the Daily Telegraph in Australia. A video of her in a hospital bed. Um, and she's there because of, rare, of a heart inflammation, side effect from her vaccine. And she goes on there, though, and says, hey, I can be healed of this side effect. I don't know, heart issues. You're right. What's the number one killer in America? Anybody know what that is? Heart disease. Heart disease. It's not even close, by the way. Yeah. It's heart disease with a bullet. Heart disease is the number one killer, man, is back in black, Led Zeppelin 4, Abbey Road, Sergeant Peppers. It, it's, it's on a thriller. It's, it's on a, you know, rumors. It's in its own sphere. And every other killer is somewhere else. So here she is messing around with one of the with the number one killer in this world. And she's like, I can overcome that, but I can't overcome a disease, COVID, with a 0.59 CFR. So I get the injection again. Aaron ran a piece in his montage from the Hill. It literally said the Babylon Bee could not conceive this as a parody. They did this as news that the man would have died harder. Yes, he died after being fully vaccinated. He would have died harder if not vaccinated. To paraphrase King Theoden, what can men do against such reckless zealotry? The spirit of the age did not show you mostly peaceful riots. And then say, you know what? You're right. Y'all got angry one time at the suburban Nashville school board. Poor one out. That could have happened? No. No, it's not. Because ultimately, I think we need to admit something to ourselves here. America is not more divided than ever. It is not. It is more invaded than ever. 
It is being invaded. The only country ever founded upon a creed, as Chesterton once said, is currently being invaded by an opposite enemy, if you know what I'm saying, creed. A creed from below. A creed pushed by the spirit of the age. If we fail to recognize this, we will fail. I have a lot of respect for Clay Travis. He's been on this show. We put him on early on when he first began pushing back on people. He gave a phenomenal talk the other day at the Nashville school or at the suburban Nashville school board where his kids attend. But I'm just following it and I follow him closely. See, He's a highly educated attorney. He worked on Capitol Hill for Tom Daschle. He has a more successful show than me. I'm not smarter than Clay Travis, but I know something he doesn't know. Those people on that school board are not going to be dissuaded simply because he gave a great speech and a whole crap ton of you showed up and got mad because they're being driven by religion, a religion, a rival religion. Call it Baal, Chamash, Malok, call it whatever you want. Zeus, Jupiter, Artemis, Diana, Muhammad. Call it whatever you want. But that's what this is. Failure to recognize this will lead to failure. You cannot, we cannot beat an enemy we don't understand. The biblical worldview we use openly on this show, it's not been holding me back because it's hard to communicate this to an audience. It's what pushed me ahead. It's the only thing I brought to the table different than everybody else was that ultimately. There's other people that are Ben Shapiro fast thinker on his feet at all. A little bit. Sometimes he's too damn fast. Other people with great memories and fact recall. Sure. But that is what has separated this apart from almost everybody else in our industry is that. And that's why we tend to be ahead of the curb or curve. It's not because I'm smarter. I'm not. It's because I've got a level of knowledge too many people on our side are ignorant of. But I can promise you. The demons fear and tremble and can quote scripture too. If you do not know the biblical worldview <laughs> they do granted it's from the other side of the looking glass and the reason i'm concerned is because our churches don't produce this level of devotion any longer and so we're going to have to do this organically amongst ourselves you need to know You need to know that what you're up against is a rival religion. The same thing Paul was up against in Ephesus, Corinth, Galatia, Philippi, Jerusalem, and everywhere else. The same thing Peter was up against. The same thing every saint has ever been up against. A rival religion. The same thing Mother Teresa was up against. The caste system in India. A rival religion. This isn't a political ideology. It's far more than that. 
That's why he doesn't fear backlash. Political ideologies fear backlash. This fears none. This is reckless zealotry. Now, I'm not going to encourage you and I to be recklessly zealous, but I'm going to encourage us to be a little more zealous, if you know what I'm saying. Is that fair? Oh, it's we're getting, we're getting a little more zealotry around here. Gandalf, this shall not pass level of zealotry. That's what it's going to take. And given the tipping point moment we're at with all of this right now between vaccine mandates and the kids in schools, I, I wanted to communicate that to you today for Theology Thursday, not knowing if I'll have another one of these in a couple of weeks when a lot of this is going to be probably decided or determined or being determined and decided because time is of the essence. We need some old time religion. Don't go into Dracula's lair, man, without a cross. You know what I'm saying? There's some holy water. let it rest there we'll come back we'll lighten the load a little bit lighten the mood three non-political questions are next so I, I, I first I told you about oh it wasn't uh, turtle cookie what was it again from Bilt Bar Rocky Road Ro- no don't, don't spoil the Rocky Road the cookie one the um Cookies and cream. No, it's like a mint cookie. I can't remember now. This is your thing, dude. I, mean, I know, I know. Anyway, I told you about that cookie flavor that's really good, which I, I bought an extra box of and I have in my uh, in my fridge. Uh, then there was the specialty uh, birthday cake flavor. Okay. Um, then there was the specialty lemon almond cheesecake, which yep. you're totally down to clown with, yep. right? Yeah. Then there was the, the, the specialty banana bread. And then there was the specialty Rocky Road, man, which just, that'll just give you a new look on, outlook on life. That's how good that thing is, okay? Folks, now, hey, the regular flavors at Bill Bar are great, too. I mean, we were, we were pimping Bill Bar on this show before we even knew and tried any of these specialty flavors, just because we, we tried the good old trusty variety box with some of the flavors Aaron mentioned, like cookies and cream, for example, okay? But you don't want to be missing these specialty flavors when they come out because right now we could all use even a, more and more simple things that just give us a little bit more joy, particularly when there are 180 calories or less in every bar. Give me some of that, right? It's the best tasting protein bar of all time. And I mean, and that's just not some like, you know, Randy Macho Man, Savage, Bobby the Brain, Heenan, Ric Flair level of of chutzpah and swagger as babe ruth once said it ain't bragging if you can do it it is the best protein bar of all time all of them covered in real chocolate and right now you get 15 percent off with the promo code dace oh easy on the tummy too i gotta keep mentioning that uh 15 off with the promo code dace d-e-a-c-e when you go to built.com for built bar b-u-i-l-t for built.com promo code dace time for three non-political questions have questions. Who am I? Why am I here? Where am I going? Who am I? A search and a question of identity. Why am I here? A question of meaning and purpose. Where am I going? Question of destiny. 
some better than others. What sort of morality or proto-morality would you expect to find in a chimpanzee troop? Injecting some levity into the demise of Western civilization. It's three questions on the Steve Day Show. Question number cookie. one. What cookie flavor did you forget, Steve? <laughs> Thank you. Grasshopper cookie. I just came to me. Thank you. Yes. Grasshopper cookie. Yes. Very nice. I knew it was, I knew it was after some animal or bug. I, I almost said like worm cookie, but I knew that wasn't right. And then they'd probably cancel the account. So I didn't say it. It's grasshopper cookie is what it is. Earthworm. I tried the new earthworm built bar. I just want you to know, guys, it's great. No, it's grasshopper cookie. Thank you. Very nice. Uh, question number one for three questions. What is the best baseball story, real or fictional? Uh, Roy Hobbs, the natural and the film version, not the book. I remember AP English my senior year. I was so psyched that one of the books on the list for that year was Bernard Malamud's The Natural. Have you read the book version? No. Okay. In the book version, he takes the money. He takes the bribe. And I did that uh, um, our, that, uh, that, that gift that our CEO Tyler has as his avatar on Twitter that looked with the mullet guy. That was my, when we got to that part at the end in the AP English class, I mean, I lost my mind. Well, he took the money. No, no, I mean the film version with Robert Redford. That is that is the greatest baseball story of all time. I love that movie. It's one of my all-time favorite movies. Um, I've seen it, a ton, I mean, dozens and dozens and dozens of times. It's so quotable. The musical score, um, uh, it, it's, it's, it's Roy Hobbs and the natural, the film version. That's the greatest baseball story of all time, in my opinion. Well, this is obviously being asked because uh, of the Field of Dreams uh, game that's being played today, which has caused me to break my baseball fast. I have the jersey on. I'm going to watch. This is too good to pass up. If they do this right, it it should be glorious, and it should remind us, just like uh, James R. Jones did, all the reasons we love baseball. But it would be too trite for me to say Feel the dreams today. I the think one constant through all the years, yes, Ray, yes. has been baseball. Yes. So I will say that because there's another one, and it's uh, it's it's a fantastic movie, uh, League of Their Own. I mean, it's about chicks playing baseball during the war, but man, it it absolutely gets it right. Tom Hanks' character is pure sports genius. Uh, I, I, my girls and I, and again, it, that movie has become to mean way more to me, even though my girls play soccer, they don't play softball, but they love that movie. We've watched it together so many different times. Uh, so it, I'll put that one there. All right. So let's, let's make it personal. Can I throw an addendum on your question? Your best that you've experienced playing baseball, your best baseball memory. Oh my goodness. Uh, There's. There's so many good ones. I mean, I was I was lucky enough to get through umpire school and, and uh, get a job. Um, but there's a there's a I never hit. I was a I mean I'm a I was, I was relatively uh, small guy certainly growing up, uh, and I never hit a home run. I never hit a home run when you were in the small field. I never hit a home run once we graduated to the bigger field. So I I moved here to Iowa which is more than 20 years ago now, but I played in an over 30 men's baseball league. And we're playing in Newton, Iowa. 
uh, formerly of Maytag fame and all that. Those got closed down. But we're playing in Newton, Newton, Iowa, which is about 40 minutes away from here. And so I'm like 32 or something like that. And it's in a, a full-sized high school baseball field. And I'm our leadoff hitter and first uh, 3-2 count fastball. And I, I hit one as hard as I thought I could hit it, but I'm so used to I don't hit home runs. Right, yeah. And I start trucking, like, because that it's it's a double in the gap, and maybe with my speed I can turn it into a triple if it bounces right. And I'm coming around hard right towards second base, and everybody's just standing there. And I stop, and I think it's a ground rule double, I think. And the shortstop on the other team looks at me, and, like, he looks like I'm an idiot. Oh, yeah, I stop running. Yeah. He's like, dude, it's gone. I, I couldn't I couldn't even process it. That's a so, great story. So I just it is. Yeah. I, I just keep jogging around and get to home plate and you know, I didn't even get a chance to like enjoy the full trot because I couldn't even imagine that it was a sure. home run. But th- I mean when you it's my I was thirty two years old. I didn't get to enjoy the whole trot, but I was like, damn, I just hit a home run. It yeah. was so cool. Yeah. For me, I've got three really quick. Um Pinery, both the first two at Pinery Park Little League, growing up in Grand Rapids, uh, I hit the home run that helped Moose Lodge win the the Pinery Park Little League championship. The only home yep. run I hit in my life yep. was that was that for that. And like Moose Lodge was considered like the bad news bears of Pinery Park, I guess. When I moved into uh, this was the first year I moved into the neighborhood, and so I hit the home run that helped uh, Moose Lodge win the Pinery Park Little League in our division that year. Uh, a couple of years later, in the senior league. So actually like three or four years later in the senior league in a game, I was playing for True Green. The lawn company was our sponsor. And I went four for four against one of my best buddies growing up who was by far the best pitcher in our grade all the way to our senior year in high school, a guy named Ryan Huff. I went four for four off of him in a game. Uh, and it's the only time I ever beat him. We, we, him and I competed our whole lives. It's the only time I think I ever beat him at any competitive endeavor and so you could, you better believe I remember that. You bet. Okay. And then as an adult working the summer, I worked for the iCubs, uh, the, the AAA affiliate of the Chicago Cubs and their sports uh, radio station. This was, this was actually 20 years ago now. Uh, Jerry Royce, the old Dodger, was the pitching coach. And they let, oh, me, do a pro- right. they let me do a promotion where I could have, uh, and Jerry was my buddy. He'd come on my show. We had a lot of the same political views. And uh, and so I gave him the idea once about, hey, what if we did a contest where listeners could come out here and take batting practice from a major league pitcher? And and how cool it would be to, you know, be in the batter's box and, and in, a, in a pretty close to major league stadium. And he said, yeah, he'd love to do it. All right. So we we had people win the contest and I go out there and... I I took him to right about the warning track. I think the outfielder had like a foot on the warning track in the outfield. I mean, just complete lucky swing, man. Okay. I basically just went up there and said to myself, all right, swing like a full second before you think you should. All right? And then I was definitely approaching like four bills. I was about 380 something back then. So I put all 389 and swung a full second before I thought I was supposed to. And I darn near took that thing to the uh, warning track or thereabouts. And he was so crushed and embarrassed. He did not speak to me the rest of the season. He would walk by me in the hall, say nothing. I couldn't get him on the show. He would not say a word to me the rest of the time. Maybe because I might have enjoyed that moment, maybe a little too much. All right. So I can't blame him. 
Those are great stories. Pales in comparison to my, I, I would say, the original f- question, uh, of course, Jackie Robinson. I, I said, best baseball story, real or, or, or fictional. I, you know, got to throw that in there. Um, as far as a personal story, I mean, I played baseball one year, my eighth grade year, enjoyed it. Kind of wish I would have played through through high school, but um, I was not great at hitting um, or fielding or throwing, uh, but I enjoyed it uh, regardless. But one time, man, I, I got this pitch that was just teed up for me. So, of course, I hit it about, I don't know, uh, two feet in front of the, the, the home base there, or home plate, I should say. I ran to first. The catcher came out to field it because that's how far I actually hit it. The catcher was able to field it. He overthrew it, threw it into the right field. Second baseman goes out into right field uh, as I'm rounding first because it's an error. Um, he he fields it now to the corner of my eye. I can see, boy, this guy is going to nail me at second. I did not anticipate him getting that uh, getting to the ball that that close that that quickly. He fielded it. He threw it, wound up to throw, and threw it right into the ground in front of him. So I got to second base, rounded second base all the way into third, and uh, they they didn't they didn't catch me. So I got a third, or I got I got a triple, I should say, on errors. That's that's my. It's <laughs> yeah. great. I think I like your story the best. Triple on errors. I hit the ball five feet in front of me. I got a triple on errors. Oh, you're being too generous. It was not five feet in front of me. It was I, literally I, like two feet. You know what? I like your I like your story the best. Yeah. As a matter of fact, that's a that it, is a classic. Uh, it's it's it stands out in my mind. I mean, my the coach that year he would we were all seventh and eighth graders. He he was my favorite coach in any sport that I played. He would scream at us and he was mean, but he was a great teacher. And you never really thought that he was actually you never he just had a way of screaming and yelling at you. You never really thought you never really took it personally. I, I loved uh, Coach Ranny. Uh, question two, what's one thing that went right when you took your newborn home or your firstborn home from the hospital, and what's one thing that went wrong? Um, what went wrong for me is the entire premise of the question because all my kids were born at That's home, true. so they That's never true. Uh, came good. from the hospital. Okay, so, you don't, so good because we're short on time. Yes. Um, for me, what went right is we did the car seat, I remember, uh, correctly, which was a big stressor. Uh, particularly back in those days, is it frontwards or backwards? So we did the the car seat properly. What went wrong is what a lot of parents struggle with, figuring out what would make her sleep. When we finally figured out, if you put her in her car seat and just walked around or even drove her around, and then she would sleep the whole night through. Hmm. And then we figured out if you put her in the crib with in the car seat, she slept all night long. Okay, <laughs> so that would be what was what went wrong for us. Final question. I can't answer that question yet. Uh, final question. Which fictional spacecraft would you most want to own and or fly? Uh, the Millennium Falcon, which I had a chance to sort of fake fly at, at Disney World last fall. And that one of the coolest dad moments I've ever had is Noah and I sitting in the in the cockpit together of the Millennium Falcon at Galaxy's Edge on that ride, piloting the Falcon, okay, in the simulation. So uh, for me, it would be the Millennium Falcon. Yeah, that seems so obvious. I guess I'll just go with the other obvious one, the um, Enterprise. That would be another good one too. Yeah, absolutely. I think Slave 2. That's Boba Fett's. Slave 1. Slave 1. Well, didn't wasn't there Slave 2 though? Or maybe it's just Slave One. Yeah, I, I, it is Slave One. But uh, I, I, oh, he inherited it from his yeah his dad. How okay. much? How long? Much longer before they change the name of that? Do you think? 
Um, I, I'm only half kidding, by the way. In fact, I, I'm surprised they haven't yet. They probably have as we're speaking. Hey, if you want to get involved uh, in what uh, right now is a booming real estate market, particularly if you want to be a seller. I've heard of people that don't even want to move. They've just, they're just looking at an insane uh, in, in, you know, growth of their house value, and they just don't want to sit on that equity. So they just, I'll just sell this house and figure it out later on. Whatever the case may be, maybe you want to get to a place where they're not making your kids get choked out or where you don't have to get a forced jab to work, right? You want to escape COVID stand. Uh, make sure in these unprecedented times Bing. that you go in with an agent you can trust via our friends at realestateagentsitrust.com. The name kind of says it all. This is a company started by uh, Glenn Beck and his associates who uh, them and their audiences got tired of dealing with agents who talked a good game, but didn't deliver. When you find that agent, like you asked me the other day, Hey, you know, I want to do maybe a bathroom remodel for my wife. Who's, who's doing yours? I told you it's our real estate agent. And he, again, guys, he sold us this house 15 years ago. I, I'm, I was so impressed with how he handled that, that when I need a contractor or something, I go back to him 15 years later, right? Yeah. That's if you, you're looking for an agent that you have that kind of rapport and relationship with, because that's how you'll know you've gotten the most out of the experience from a success standpoint. All right. Go to the website, realestateagentsitrust.com. Again, realestateagentsitrust.com. All right. Any final thoughts, words? What should we rename? Slave one. Me too. I like it. I like it. Uh, that's that's very well done. Um, yeah, there, being alive, USS anything is going to be controversial uh, before we know it. Um, I don't know. Overall thoughts on, on today's show. The coming full circle. Originally, the lockdowns and the dogma surrounding the lockdowns back in March and April We're all surrounded upon one general phrase, do it to protect grandma. Now, all the mandates about vaccines and or masks, what are they centering around, by and large, doing it to protect the children now? We have totally come full circle. The arguments are the same, just about different things. The uh, dogma is the same, just about different people or different uh, items of interest. We are truly coming full circle. The only way this silly circle to uh, perdition ends is if we make it so. And it's encouraging to see some efforts to do so. Someone just sent me an article, guys. On June 28th, Disney announced they were, I'm reading it from Yahoo. Disney announced they're dropping the name Slave One. I didn't even know. There it is. It was just a joke. I I didn't even know this. Neither did I. John 317. This is Steve Dace on the Blaze Radio Network.